Section 10 of The Vertical City. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Lisa Reichert. The Vertical City by Fanny Hurst. Section 10. The Smudge, Part 2. Quite without precedent, there was a man waiting for her in the wings. The gloom of backstage was as high as trees, and Hattie had not seen him in sixteen years. But she knew, with the stunned consciousness of a stabbed person, that glinting instant before the blood begins to flow. It was Morton Sabree, Marsh's father. Morton! Hattie! Come up to my dressing-room, she said, as matter-of-factly as if her brain were a clock ticking off the words. They walked up an iron staircase of unreality, fantastic stairs, wisps of gloom, singing pains in her climbing legs like a piano key, hit very hard, and held down with a pressing finger. She could listen to her pain. That was her thought as she climbed. How the irrelevant little ideas would slide about in her sudden chaos. She must concentrate now, terribly. Morton was back. His hand, a smooth, glabrous one, full of clutch, riding up the banister. It could have been picked off, finger by finger. It was that kind of a hand. But after each lift, another finger would have curled back again. Morton's hand, ascending the dark, like a soul on a string in a burlesque show. Face to face, the electric bulb in her dressing-room was encased in a wire like a baseball mask, a burning prison of light fat sticks of grease-paint with the grain of Hattie's flesh printed on the daub-end, furiously brown cheesecloth, an open jar of cream, chocolate, with the gesture of the gouge in it, a woolly black wig on a shelf, its kinks seeming to crawl. There was a rim of Hattie au naturel left around her lips. It made of her mouth a comedy blubber, her own rather firm lips sliding about somewhere in the lightish swamp. That was all of Hattie that looked out. Except her eyes. They were good grey eyes, with popping whites now because of a trick of blackening the lids. But the irises were in their pools, inviolate. Well, Hattie, I reckon I'd a known you even under black. I thought you were in Rio. Got to hankering after the States, Hattie. I read of a Morris Sabree died in Brazil. Sometimes I used to think maybe it might have been a misprint and that you were the one. No, no, live and kicking. Been up around here a good while. Where? Home, Narlings. My mother died, Hattie. God rest her bones. Know it? No. Cancer. Oh. It was a peculiar silence. A terrible word like that was almost slowly soluble in it, gurgling down. Sort of gives a fellow the shivers, Hattie, seeing you kind of hiding behind yourself like this. But I saw you come in the theater tonight. You looked right natural, a little heavier. What do you want? Why, I guess a good many things in general, and nothing in particular, as the saying goes. You don't seem right glad to see me, honey. Glad, said Hattie, and laughed as if her mirth were a dice, shaking in a box of echoes. Your hair's right red yet. Looked mighty natural walking into the theatre tonight. Take off those kinks, honey. She reached for her cleansing cream, then stopped, her eyes full of the foment of torture. What's my looks to you? You've filled out. You haven't, putting down the cold cream jar. You haven't aged an hour. 
your kind lies on life like it was a wall in the sun a wall that somebody else has built for you stone by stone i reckon you're right in some ways hattie there's been a meandering streak in me somewheres you and my mother god rest her bones had a different way of scolding me for the same thing a lot of huck finn in me don't use bad boy words for vicious bad man deeds but you liked me both of you liked me honey only two women i ever really cared for too you and my mother her face might have been burning paper curling her scorn for him don't try that morton it won't work any more what used to infatuate me only disgusts me now the things i thought i loved in you i loathe now the kind of cancer that killed your mother is the kind that eats out the heart i never knew her never even saw her except from a distance but i know just as if i'd lived in that fine big house with her all those years in new orleans that you were the sickness that ailed her a lying squandering gambling no-count son and if she and i are the only women you ever cared for thank god that there aren't any more of us to suffer from you morton when i read that a morris sabree had died in brazil i hoped it was you you're no good you're no good she was thumping now with the sobs she kept under her voice why hattie he said his drawl not quickened you don't mean that i do you're a ruiner of lives her life mine you're a rotten apple that can speck every one it touches that's hard hattie but i reckon you're not all wrong oh that softy southern talk won't get us anywhere morton the very sound of it sickens me now you're like a terrible sickness i once had i'm cured now i don't know what you want here but whatever it is you might as well go i'm cured he sat forward in his chair still twirling the soft brown hat he was dressed like that softly good quality loosely woven stuffs there was still a tan down of persistent youth on the back of his neck but his hands were old the veins twisted wiring and his third finger yellowly stained like meerschaum darkening grantin everything you say hattie and i'm holdin no brief for myself i've been the sick one not you twenty years i've been down sick with hookworm with devilishness no hattie it's the government's diagnosis hookworm been a sick man all my life with it funny thing though all those years in rio knocked it out of me Fah. I'm a new man since I'm well of it. Hookworm, that's an easy word for ingrained no-countness, deviltry, and deceit. It wasn't hookworm came into the New Orleans Stock Company where I was understudying leads and getting my chance to play big things. It wasn't hookworm put me in a position where I had to take anything I could get. So that instead of finding me playing leads, you find me here, blackface. It was a devil, a liar a spendthrift no-count son out of a family that deserved better i've cried more tears over you than i ever thought any woman ever had it in her to cry those months in that boarding-house in peachtree street down in new orleans peachtree street i remember how beautiful even the name of it was when you took me there lying and how horrible it became to me those months when i used to see your mother's carriage drive by the house twice a day and me crying my eyes out behind the curtains that's what i've never forgiven myself for she was a woman who stood for fine things in new orleans a good woman whom the whole town pitied 
a no-count's son squandering her fortune and dragging down the family name. If only I had known all that then. She would have helped me if I had appealed to her. She wouldn't have let things turn out secretly the way they did. She would have helped me. I, you, why have you come here to jerk knives out of my heart after it's got healed with the point sticking in? You're nothing to me. You're skulking for a reason. You've been hanging around, getting pointers about me. My life is my own. You get out. The girl, she well? It was a quiet question, spoken in the key of being casual, and Hattie, whose heart skipped a beat, tried to corral the fear in her eyes to take it casually, except that her eyelids seemed to grow old even as they drooped. Squeezed grapeskins. "'You get out, Morton,' she said. "'You've got to get out.' He made a cigarette in an old, indolent way he had of wetting it with his smile. He was handsome enough, after his fashion, for those who like the rather tropical combination of dark ivory skin and hair a lighter shade of tan. It did a curious thing to his eyes. Behind their allotment of tan lashes they became neutralized, straw-coloured. "'She's about sixteen now, little over, I reckon. "'What's that to you?' "'Blood, Hattie, thick. "'What thickened it, Morton, after sixteen years? "'Used to be an artist chap down in Rio, on his uppers. "'One night, according to my description of what I imagined she looked like, "'he drew her. "'Yellow hair, I reckoned, and sure enough. "'You're not worthy of the resemblance. "'It wouldn't be there if I had the saying.' "'You haven't.' he said suddenly, his teeth snapping together as if biting off a thread. "'Nor you!' Something that was the whiteness of fear lightening behind her mask. She rose then, lifting her chair out of the path toward the door and flinging her arm out toward it, very much after the manner of Miss Robinson in Act Two. "'You get out, Morton,' she said, "'before I have you put out. They're closing the theatre now. Get out!' "'Hattie,' his calm enormous. Don't be hasty. A man that has come to his senses has come back to you humble and sincere. A man that's been sick. Take me back, Hattie, and see if... Back, she said, lifting her lips scornfully away from touching the word. You remember that night in that little room on Peachtree Street, when I prayed on my knees and kissed your shoes and crawled for your mercy to stay for Marcia to be born. Well, if you were to lie on this floor and kiss my shoes and crawl for my mercy, I'd walk out on you the way you walked out on me. If you don't go, I'll call a stagehand and make you go. There's one coming down the corridor now and locking the house. You go, or I'll call. His eyes, with their peculiar trick of solubility in his color scheme, seemed all tan. I'll go, he said, looking slim and southern, his imperturbability ever so slightly unfrocked. I'll go, but you're making a mistake, Hattie. Fear kept clanging in her, firebells of it. Oh, but that's like you, Morton, threats. But thank God nothing you can do can harm me any more. I reckon she's considerable over sixteen now. Let's see. Firebells, firebells. Come out with what you want, Morton, like a man. You're feeling for something. Money? Now that your mother's dead and her fortune squandered, you've come to harass me? That's it. I know you. 
like a person who has been disfigured for life by burns knows fire well i won't pay pay why hattie i want you back she could have cried because as she sat there blackly she was sick with his lie i'd save a dog from you then save her from me the terrible had happened so quietly morton had not raised his voice scarcely his lips she closed the door then and sat down once more but that which had crouched out of their talk was unleashed now that's just exactly what i intend to do how by saving her sight or sound of you you can't hattie why i've come back there was a curve to his words that hooked into her heart like forceps about a block of ice but she outstared him holding her lips in the centre of the comedy rim so that he could see how firm their bite not to me to her then even you wouldn't be low enough to let her know know what facts you mean she doesn't know no know you for what you are and for what you made of me i've kept it something decent for her just the separation of husband and wife who couldn't agree incompatibility i have not told her and suddenly could have rammed her teeth into the tongue that had betrayed her simultaneously with the leap of light into his eyes came the leap of her error into her consciousness oh he said and smiled a slow smile that widened as leisurely as sorghum in the pouring you made me tell you that you came here for that to find out nothing the sort hattie you only verified what i kind of suspected naturally you've kept it from her admire you for it but i lied see i know your tricks she does know you for what you are and what you made of me she knows everything now what are you going to do she knows i lied and i then stopped at the curve his lips were taking and at consciousness of the pitiableness of her device morton she said her hands opening into her lap into pads of great pink helplessness you wouldn't tell her on me you're not that low wouldn't tell what he was rattling her and so she fought him with her gaze trying to fasten and fathom under the flicker of his lids but there were no eyes there only the neutral tricky tan you see morton she's just sixteen the age when it's more important than anything else in the world to a young girl that's been reared like her to to have her life regular like all her other little school friends she's like that morton sensitive don't touch her morton for god's sake don't some day when she's past having to care so terribly when she's older you can rake it up if you must torture i'll tell her then but for god's sake morton let us live now hattie you meet me tomorrow morning and take a little journey to one of these little towns around here in jersey or connecticut and your lie to her won't be a lie any more morton i i don't understand why i'll marry you you fool she said almost meditatively so you've heard we've gotten on a bit you must even have heard of this placing her hand over the jar of the brown cold cream you want to be in at the feast you're so easy to read that i can tell you what you're after before you can get the coward words out marry you you fool it was as if she could not flip the word off scornfully enough sucking back her lower lip then hurling 
"'Well, Hattie,' he said, unbunching his soft hat, "'I reckon that's pretty plain.' "'I reckon it is, Morton.' "'All right. Everybody to his own notion of carrying a grudge to the grave. But it's all right, honey. No hard feelings. It's something to know I was willing to do the right thing. There's a fruit steamer out of here for New Orleans in the morning. Reckon I'll catch it.' "'I'd advise you to.' "'No objection to me dropping around to see the girl first. "'Entitled to a little natural curiosity. "'Come, I'll take you up home this evening. "'The girl, no harm.' "'You're not serious, Morton. "'You wouldn't upset things. "'You wouldn't tell that child.' "'Why, not in a thousand years, honey. "'Unless you forced me to it. "'Well, you've forced me. "'Come, Hattie, I'm seeing you home this evening.' "'You can't put your foot.' "'Come now. You're too clever a woman to try to prevent me. "'Of course there's a way to keep me from going up home with you this evening. "'I wouldn't use it if I were you. "'You know I'll get to see her. "'I even know where she goes to school. "'Mighty nice selection you made, Hattie, Miss Harperley's. "'You can't frighten me,' she said, trying to moisten her lips with her tongue. "'But it was dry as a parrot's. "'It was hard to close her lips.' They were oval and suddenly as immobile as a picture frame. What if she could not swallow? There was nothing to swallow. Dry tongue. Oh, God, Marcia! That was the fleeting form her panic took, but almost immediately she could manage her lips again. Her lips, you see, they counted so. She must keep them firm in the slippery shine of the comedy black. Come, he said. Get your makeup off. I'll take you up in a cab. How do you know it's up? Why, I don't know as I do know exactly. Just came kind of natural to put it that way. Morningside Heights is about right, I calculate. So you have been watching. Well, I don't know as I'd put it that away. Naturally, when I got to town, first thing I did, most natural thing in the world. That's a mighty fine car with a mighty fine-looking boy and a girl brings your our girl home every afternoon about four we used to have a family of grosbecks down home another branch i reckon oh god a malaprop of a tear too heavy to wink in came rolling suddenly down hattie's cheek morton let us live for god's sake please he regarded the clean descent of the tear down hattie's colour-fast cheek and its clear drop into the bosom of her black taffeta housemaid's dress. By Jove, that stuff is colour fast. You've a fortune in that cream if you handle it right, honey. My way is the right way for me. But it's a woman's way. Incorporate. Manufacture it. Get a man on the job. Promote it. Ah, that sounds familiar. The way you promoted away every cent of your mother's fortune until the bed she died in was mortgaged. One of your wildcat schemes again. Oh, I watched you before I lost track of you in South America, just the way you're watching us now. I know the way you squandered your mother's fortune. The rice plantation in Georgia, the alfalfa ranch, the solid rubber tire venture in Atlanta. You don't get your hands on my affairs. My way suits me. The tumult in her was so high, and her panic so like a squirrel in the circular frenzy of its cage that she scarcely noted the bang on the door and the hairy voice that came through. All out? Yes, she said without knowing it. You're losing a fortune, Hattie, 
Shame on a fine strappin' woman like you, black facing herself up like this when you've hit on something with a fortune in it, if you work it properly. You ought to have more regard for the girl. Black face. What has her father's regard done for her? It's my black face has kept her like a lily. Admitting all that you say about me is right. Well, I'm here eating humble pie now. If that little girl doesn't know, bless my heart, I'm willing she shouldn't ever know. I'll take you out to Greenwich tomorrow and marry you. Then what you've told her all these years is the truth. I've just come back, that's all. We've patched up. It's done every day. Right promotin' and a few hundred dollars in that there cream will... She laughed. November rain running off a broken spout. Yellow leaves scuttling ahead of wind. The picture puzzle is now complete, Morton. Your whole scheme, piece by piece. You're about as subtle as cornbread. Well, my answer to you again is, get out. All right, all right, but we'll both get out, Hattie. Come, I'm a-gonna call on y'all up home a little while this evening. No, it's late. She's... Come, Hattie, you know I'm a-gonna see that girl one way or another. If you want me to catch that fruit steamer tomorrow, if I were you, I'd let me see her my way. You know I'm not much on raising my voice, but if I were you, Hattie, I wouldn't fight me. Morton, Morton, listen. If you'll take that fruit steamer without trying to see her, would you? You're on your uppers, I understand. Would a hundred, two hundred? I used to light my cigarette with that much down on my rice swamps. You see, Morton, she's such a little thing, a little thing with big eyes. All her life those eyes have looked right down into me, believing everything I ever told her. About you, too, Morton. Good things. Not that I'm ashamed of anything I ever told her. My only wrong was ignorance, and innocence, innocence of the kind of lesson I was to learn from you. Nothing was ever righted by harping on it, Hattie. But I want you to understand. Oh, God, make him understand. She's such a sensitive little thing. And as things stand now, glad I'm her mother. Yes, glad, black face and all. Why, many's the time I've gone home from the theatre too tired to take off my makeup until I got into my own rocker with my ankles soaking in warm water. They swell so terribly sometimes. Rheumatism, I guess. Well, many a time when I kissed her in her sleep, she's opened her eyes on me, black face and all, her arms up and around me. I was there underneath the black. She knows that. And that's what she'll always know about me, no matter what you tell her. I'm there, her mother, underneath the black. You hear, Morton? That's why you must let us live. My proposition is the mighty decent one of a gentleman. She's only a little baby, Morton, and just at that age where being like all the other boys and girls is the whole of her little life. It's killing, all her airiness and fads and fancies. Such a proper little young lady. You know, the way they clip and trim them at finishing school? Sweet sixteen nonsense that she'll outgrow. Tonight, Morton, she's at a party, a boy's, her first that fine-looking, yellow-haired young fellow and his sister that bring her home every afternoon. At their house. Gramercy Park. A fine young fellow. Five pie. Look a here, Hattie. Are you talking against time? She's home asleep by now. I told her she had to be in bed by eleven. She minds me, Morton. I wouldn't, couldn't wake her. Morton, Morton, she's yours as much as mine. That's God's law, no matter how much man's law may have let you shirk your responsibility. 
don't hurt your own flesh and blood by coming back to us now i remember once when you cut your hand it made you ill blood blood is warm red sacred stuff she's your blood morton you let us alone when we needed you leave us alone now that we don't but you do hattie girl that's just it you're running things a woman's way why a man with the right promoting ideas there was a fusillade of bangs on the door now and a shout as if the hair on the voice were rising in anger all out or the doors'll be locked on ya fine doin's she grasped her light wrap from its hook and her hat with its whirl of dark veil fitting it down with difficulty over the fizz of wig come morton she said suddenly i'm ready you're right now or never your face no time now later at home she'll know that i'm there under the black so do i hattie that's why i i'm not one of the ready-made heroines you read about that's not my idea of sacrifice i'd let my child hang her head of my shame sooner than stand up and marry you to save her from it marcia wouldn't want me to she's got your face but my character she'll fight she'll glory that i had the courage to let you tell her the truth yes she will she cried her voice pleading for the truth of what her words exclaimed she'll glory in having saved me from you you can come now too while i have the strength that loathing can give me i don't want you skulking about i don't want you hanging over my head or hers you can tell her to-night but in my presence come yes sir he repeated doggedly and still more doggedly yes siree following her trying to be grim but the lips too soft to click yes sir they drove up silently through a lustreless midnight with a threat of rain in it hitting loosely against each other in a shiver my timbers taxicab her pallor showing through the brown of her face did something horrid to her it was as if the skull of her set in torment were looking through a transparent black mask but because there were not lips forced to grin and yet do you know that while she rode with him hattie's heart was high so high that when she left him finally seated in her little lamplit living-room it was he whose unease began to develop ay if she's asleep hattie her head looked so sure thrust back and sunk a little between the shoulders if she's asleep i'll wake her it's better this way i'm glad now i want you to see me save myself she would want me to you banked on mock heroics from me morton and lost marcia was asleep in her narrow pretty bed with little bow knots painted on the pale wood about the room all the tired and happy muss of after the party a white taffeta dress with a whisper of real lace at the neck almost stiffly seated as if with marcia's trimness on a chair a steam of white tulle on the dressing-table a buttonhole gardenia in a tumbler of water one long white kid glove on the table beside the night-light a naked cherub in a high hat holding a pink umbrella for the lampshade dear me dear me screamed hattie to herself fighting to keep her mind on the plane of casual things she's lost a glove again dear me dear me i hope it's a left one to match up with the right one she saved from the last pair dear me she picked up a white film of stocking turning and exploring with spread fingers in the foot part for holes there was one marcia's big toe had danced right through dear me marcia sleeping 
very quietly and very deeply. She slept like that, whitely and straightly, and with the covers scarcely raised for the ridge of her slim body. Sometimes Marcia asleep could frighten Hattie. There was something about her white stilliness. Lilies are too fair, and so must live briefly. That thought could clutch, so that she would kiss Marcia awake. Kiss her soundly, because Marcia's sleep could be so terrifyingly deep. Marcia, said Hattie, and stood over her bed. Then again, Marcia, on more voice than she thought her dry throat could yield her. There was the merest flip of black on the lacy bosom of Marcia's nightgown, and Hattie leaned down to fleck it. No, it was a pin, a small black enameled pin edged in pearls. Automatically, Hattie knew. Pie, fie! Marcia, cried Hattie, and shook her a little. She hated so to waken her, always had, especially for school on rainy days. Sometimes didn't, couldn't. Marcia came up out of sleep so reluctantly, a little dazed, a little secretive, as if a white bull in a dream had galloped off with her like Persephone's. Only Hattie did not know of Persephone. She only knew that Marcia slept beautifully and almost breathlessly, sweet and low. It seemed silly sleeping beautifully, but just the same Marcia did. Then Hattie, not faltering, mind you, waited. It was better that Marcia should know. Now, too, while her heart was so high. Sometimes it took as many as three kisses to awaken Marcia. Hattie bent for the first one, a sound one, on the tip of her lip. Marcia, she cried, Marcy, wake up, and drew back. Something had happened, darkly, a smudge the size of a quarter, and the color of Hattie's guaranteed not to fade cheek lay incredibly on Marcia's whiteness. Hattie had smudged Marcia. Hattie had smudged Marcia. There it lay on her beautiful, helpless whiteness. Hattie's smudge. It is doubtful, from the way he waited with his soft hat dangling from soft fingers, if Morton had ever really expected anything else. Momentary unease gone. He was quiet and southern and even indolent about it. We'll go to Greenwich first thing in the morning to be married, he said. Shh! she whispered to his quietness. Don't wake Marcia. Hattie, he said, and started to touch her. Don't! she sort of cried under her whisper, but not without noting that his hand was ready enough to withdraw. Please, go now. Tomorrow, at the station, then, eleven. There's a train every hour for Greenwich. He was all tanned to her now, standing there like a blur. Yes, Morton, I'll be there, if... Please, you'll go now. Of course, he said, late, only I, while paying the taxi, strapped me temporarily. A ten-spot, old hat, would help. She gave him her purse, a tiny leather one with a patent clasp. Somehow her fingers were not flexible enough to open it. His were. There were a few hours of darkness left, and she sat them out, exactly as he had left her, on the piano-stool, looking at the silence. Toward morning, quite an equinoctial storm swept the city, banging shutters and signs, and a steeple on 122nd Street was struck by lightning. And so it was that Hattie's wedding day came up like thunder. End of The Smudge